Welcome to Making Comics, a podcast exploring the comics process from two different perspectives. I'm Scott Loss, the creator and artist of The Second Shift and Wanderers of Melisandre for the Accidental Aliens. And I am Keith Foster. I write the comics Kadoja and Three Protectors, and I'm a managing partner at Invader Comics. All right, man. So I am hosting, so you are up for drinking. What are you drinking, my friend? Yeah, I uh, I actually, it actually feels kind of wild because I am now living that Scott Lost lifestyle. I am now I am now low on beers in the house. I have not ordered any through anything through Tavor. I have not been interested in ordering anything through Tavor. I mean, I see him pop up, but nothing, you know, nothing has jumped out and said buy me. And and the way it works is if I see one beer come up through Tavor where I'm like, I gotta buy that, then for the rest of the month, because you pay fixed shipping, you you stock it with stuff. So you stock it with the kind of beers that you might find an equivalent of locally. But since I haven't done that, I'm just buying beers locally. So uh, over the last week, I have gone to Total Wine and what I'm buying. And I've also gone to Trader Joe's and done the whole like single sampler thing. But tonight, I'm going with a beer that is my favorite. It's Kentucky Bourbon Barrel Ale. I just went with Keith's favorite beer. I busted open one of these things last night and I loved it to death. And uh, I decided to rock that here. And more importantly, it gives me a little bandwidth. If this conversation gets good, then I can I can take it to the fucking stratosphere. And I can go get get a little bit of a scotchy scotch and throw it on top of it. Because it's only 12 ounces. 12 ounces, 8%. So a power rating of 96. We're going to have a nice combined power rating today. Because I am drinking uh, the, hop, the Hop Concept. I think that's the I think that's the place. I think that's the brewery, the Hop Concept. Mm-hmm. It is in San Marcos, California, which is local to me, and it is Galaxy and Comet IPA. And this has an ABV of I believe I don't know where it went now. I swear it was like right on there when I looked at it. That's how good the beer is. That's how good you it is. I haven't even sipped beer. it, and I've like I saw I saw that beer in, in my Trader Joe's last well, night. Well, I can't actually. find it for whatever reason, but it is a seven point five. I know that because okay. I was like, oh shit, all right. Well, that's something I can fuck with, and uh, yeah. it'll it'll get me nice loosey and goosey. Oh no, I'm wrong. Eight percent. Ooh, there we go. Nice yeah. combined power rating, my friend. We are we are strong in it. We are strong in it. It's gonna I get like wild. It. It's gonna get wild, it's people. Yeah, well, well, I mean, it, look. In fairness, it has to for it to get wild. We both have to drop about nine percent minimum each. And when it's gotten really weird, is when like I've thrown down whatever the fuck it was, like a thirteen percent or something like that. <laughs> yeah, true. So yeah, and and sixteen ounces of it, sixteen ounces of it. So not not too bad just yet. And just to build it up for you guys, so the hundredth episode marker is coming up, and we will be having Gary Hodges on that episode. And episodes back. We went to Phoenix Fan Fusion. We hung out with Gary. He gave us those insanely high ABV beers. And uh, so we've made a pact that while Gary is on the air with us, Keith and I will be drinking those that night. So episode 100 will be a big one. It's going to get sloppy. And Gary will more than likely be taking over hosting duties for that episode, depending (laughs) how weird it gets. 17.3% 17.3% motherfucker that's what that is it's only they're only 12 ounce bottles they're only 12 ounce bottles but they are 17.3% double what we are drinking right now yeah double. holy shit yeah it's going to get crazy all right hey now i know i feel like i got to like i feel like that that shit's like campbell's chicken noodle soup concentrate like i have to pour it in water to actually make <laughs> yeah, it the right. right thing you know uh all right anyway yeah i'm excited it's going to be it's it's going to be interesting for sure so yeah. uh looking forward to it 
All right, my friend, uh, what is the first thing you got done this week? Or most important, yeah. I should say. Yeah, I mean, well, the, I think the most pertinent is that I just got back a couple days ago from Amazing Las Vegas Comic Con. And so I wanted, I, I am actually going to have three things today. And, but the first two are going to, I'm just going to split up uh, a couple things about Amazing Las Vegas. So the first one is going to be an overall summary of Amazing Las Vegas. And some of this is review for you, Scott, because I texted you through, through the weekend, last weekend. So Amazing Las Vegas is a really good show. It reminds me a lot of a smaller con, like here the equivalent would be Long Beach Comic Con, but it in in the sense that it didn't have any kind of big publisher presence or big vendor presence, a lot of standard stuff. However, what made Amazing Las Vegas different is its big time love for comic creators. So comic writers in particular um, got some really nice spotlights. So the two, I think, marquee creators of the weekend were Garth Ennis, who has written a bunch of comic books, uh, The Punisher, um, Preacher, and also some issues of a bunch of other stuff. His early work was with uh, 2000 AD Publishing. He's done some Hellblazer, and he's done a few other things as well. And, of course, he is the creator of The Boys, and that is his runaway smash hit. I'm assuming that's his IP. Um, and that, you know, he is he is uh, kind of, you know, rocking that right now. And then, of course, James Tinney in the fourth was the uh, other creator who was there who, you know, uh, hopefully needs no introduction to listeners of the podcast. But just in case he writes something is killing the children, Department of Truth, Batman and also Nice House on the Lake, as well as other stuff. I mean, he's done other stuff, too. Scott and I just talked about a comic of his called The Closet. The show itself, it was kind of weird because I did well. However, I think as a percentage of my time, I sat around the most at this show. So I think I had the most dead time at this show out of any show I have ever done, despite the fact that I did well. And why I tried to isolate why. Number one, there was a lot of time where it was dead. Um, and I think another reason is that there were, there were a lot of comic fans there because of those two special guests and some other people. But... There were also panels and things like that. And what I figured out is if a panel was going on with James Tinney in the fourth or with Garth Ennis, I wasn't selling shit because all the kind of people that are going to be interested in buying comics are sitting in that panel right now, listening to other amazing creators, both of them writers in this case, talk about making comics. So, um, so yeah, that created some really wild like lulls and peaks. And also, I think the fact was that this is just one of those weird shows where um, I didn't have to do a lot of at-the-booth selling. Like, the kind of people that came up, they were like, the book sort of sold themselves. They liked the cover. They liked a very quick version of the first pitch. And that was it. That was enough to, to have people want to pick up the book. So I thought that, <laughs> that was sounds really cool. great. <laughs> it was great. It was great. Yeah, it was a very, it, like, it, again, it's weird because I did sit around bored a lot. But it also wasn't the amount of effort you have sometimes where you're just you're repeatedly telling people about your book and, and, you know, not many people are interested in picking it up at the moment. Maybe they come back. Maybe somebody else picks it up again. Um, it's It's been a nice run of shows for me. But anyway, so it was it was really interesting for that. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that there's there's some other stuff there uh, that I can talk about a little bit, but I think I'll I'll split it up and do one of the things for my second thing and then save some of the other stuff for bringing the bullshit later on. Well, I have two things, so that works out pretty well. 
All right, so my first thing for this week, and the most important thing, was I've almost completed the next page of Second Shift 13. Um, last we left off, I finished the double page spread. I started working on the very next page. I got along far along pretty far along, hello. I got along pretty far that same night, um, but the thing that I have not mentioned, and you, you mentioned the panel layout when you were over here. You were talking about, you know, the the complexity of the panels, just changing it mm -hmm. up, uh, making things look yeah. different and interesting. The one thing that we didn't mention was there's fucking a thousand panels on on both of those pages. So <laughs> the double true. the double page spread has 23 panels on it. And the page right after it that continues that part of the story, it has 12. Yeah. So uh, so normally by now a week has passed since last we recorded, I would have that page done. There's just so many panels on it. So I've been doing more than just a panel a day. I've been doing probably two and a half panels a day, maybe three sometimes. So I've been kicking butt on the page, but it's just there's so many panels on it that it's not complete. So and I was really trying to hustle today so I can say, hey, I finished that page. And by the way, it was there's this many panels on it. It just didn't happen. It's halfway done. Um, the last image that I'm drawing, it has a shadow image. So. I don't know if that's the actual term for this, but it's what I call it. It's to represent movement in the panel. So, like, let's pick a character, Nightwing. Nightwing jumping through the city. A lot of times artists will depict Nightwing jumping through the city because in an acrobat, they'll have kind of like a trail of, mm -hmm. of images of him that are a bit translucent in the background yeah. and you see him moving throughout the city. So mm -hmm. that... When I, when I see that, I call it a shadow image. So the yeah. image that I'm drawing, it has two shadow images in it. So for the last panel, it's not a big panel, but it is taking slightly longer than a couple of the other ones did. It's still moving at a good rate. It's just, unfortunately, I wasn't able to finish it before this pod. But as soon as this, as soon as this recording's done, I'm going to get off the air and knock it out. And uh, that'll be done. So that was the big thing for the week. I'm really happy with my production. Um, since I used the Slack method to hop to more interesting pages, it's it's really done wonders. Um, things are just moving along swimmingly, and uh, I'm having a great time with this issue. That's cool. That's cool. And this also uh, ends up being a little bit of a callback to last episode because the panel that I talked about from Infinite Kung Fu by Kagan McLeod, which I also posted has three versions of the two lead characters walking through. There are no shadow versions, but what he did was he makes made the whole scene gray and had the two characters in a stark white to represent who they are. So you have to kind of pay attention, uh, but once you do, you realize that it's the same characters three times and it's meant to show their motion through the bar without use of the shadow images or the arcs that go from place to place. Did, uh, in that panel, I think I remember, were there um, bars to break the panel up into three pieces? No. Oh, it wasn't. No. It was just, okay. Nope. Which is, yeah, that's another great tactic. You can you can break up the panel into sub-panels, even though it's one image. So you create like a triptych or whatever you want to say, where you're just putting one big image out there, but you're breaking it up into sub-panels with, you know, with a border in between. So yeah, there's a lot of ways to win on this. Yep, yep. Those are, those are always cool yeah. panels to me. I love looking at those. They're very yeah. interesting. Nightwing is one of my favorite heroes of all time. So um, that was the one that jumped out to me because... Usually when artists depict Nightwing, it is using those shadow images. 
Yeah, man. Like he's drinking a cup of coffee and choo, 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 choo. (laughs) (laughs) Raising it. (laughs) So, uh, so yeah, anyway, no, that's cool. So I will now talk about my second thing, which it isn't necessarily a thing, but I wanted to talk about it. That's funny. Mine isn't, my second one's not necessarily a thing, but it is something I want to talk about. All right, go ahead. Okay, cool, cool. So that we're going to have a nice common theme here. So I'm going to I'm going to reiterate Scott what I sent you a text for. When I had sent you a text over the weekend, I didn't expect this to be something I wanted to talk about on the podcast, but I think it's super important. So the text I sent Scott. It's important to note here that my booth was 10 feet from Garth Ennis's. Oh I shit, was on, I didn't know that. I was at a, Yeah, oh Wait, yeah. Did man. I know that? I was Huh? Did you tell me that? I don't know if I did. Maybe I didn't. But like, That's I was basically, cool. <laughs> I was a wall of Artist Alley. And, and then like, there was a, there was a large open concrete floor. So like the people three booths to my left looked straight across to a booth, like 70 feet away. Oh, straight across from my booth was basically the front of the line for Garth Ennis because Garth Ennis was a double end cap on a shorter aisle that I was looking at if that makes sense. So if Garth Ennis wasn't there, you would kind of turn on one aisle and go to the other and you'd turn around and you'd look at my booth, right? Or your back would be to my booth if you were going the other way. So yeah, I was no more than 10 feet from Garth Ennis on the times he was there. And so I had, I had all weekend to look at this, you know? And, and first of all, it was just really cool to see people lined up for a writer you know, like that, that was my favorite thing. The, the, the two marquee creators for this show were writers and people were really excited to see those writers. So I was like, hey, man, this is all right. You know, like and and what Garth Ennis did was he charged five per signature for anything. Oh, right and then if you wanted to buy and if you wanted to buy um, a Dynamite book, mainly the boys, then the, the you know, there was maybe the owner from Dynamite, one of the other guys that served as like his, you know, booth helper. Um, and was doing all the assistant stuff. And then you would just pay for, you know, the boys omnibus or a trade paperback or something like that. And the signature would be free. So I thought that was really cool. And that's what led to the fact that I just got two things signed. You know, I don't own a lot of Garth Ennis material. So this wasn't as much a culmination of me reading Garth Ennis as it might be the jumping off point of me getting into some older Garth Ennis stuff. So I ended up finding uh, a cheap issue one day of Preacher, that just had a cool cover. I found it for four bucks. And then I got it signed by Garth Ennis. And then the next day, and then I'm just sitting there and more people are getting it signed. And, and I end up seeing the same people. There were people who got some stuff signed every day. There were people who came back multiple times in one day. And I was like, yeah, when am I going to be this close to Garth Ennis again? Why wouldn't I just get another book? So I made a note that Sunday when I came in, I would roam the floor, try to find another thing cheap and get that signed again. And then I found a Punisher and I got that signed the next day. So that was great. But what was cooler was to just see this in action. And so the text I sent Scott was do you, or something like this. You know what the difference is between marquee creators who have, quote, made it and us? They get to choose their own hours. Here were Garth Ennis' signing hours at Amazing Las Vegas. Friday 3 to 5. Saturday 12.30 to 3. Sunday, 1 to 3.30. And my note to Scott was, these are the times that I do the best selling. You know, but the difference is when we are running booths, we sit there the whole time. 
We don't choose our shots. We don't pick our slabs of hours for people to come and get stuff signed by us. And um, and I do really think that's the difference, you know, that that they they don't have to sit through the dead time like we do. And speaking of that dead time, this is where we get to the thing that I wanted to talk about. So I just told you what the stated hours on Garth Ennis's table were. He did not do those hours any of those days. So on Friday, the hours posted were three to five, but around 4.15, there wasn't a line. And so for about five minutes, he sat there, he talked to his handler, and then he left. <laughs> right? And then the next day, it was the same thing. And look, he did quite well. You know, like he had long lines. People queued up 30 minutes in advance of him being there. But even though he had stated times of two hours, two and a half, and two and a half hours respectively, he never even was there for two of them. And that's just because things got dead. And I'm sure he was kind of like, I'm going to leave. You know, and, and, and the guy who owned Dynamite was, or, you know, again, one of the one of the people who at least works for Dynamite or owns it, I'm not sure, um, prob, you know, had no problem letting him do it. And, and I think that would make sense if you're a marquee creator. You know, like if I was a marquee creator, I don't think I'd want to sit there bored while people walked by and, you know, did nothing and there were no people at your booth. Yeah, honestly, if I was running that booth or the booth handler, someone that works at Dynamite, I would go, okay, cool. Um, just sign a bunch of shit before you leave, okay? You know, just like yeah. whatever properties that they have there, if they have the boys, like omnibuses, just sign mm-hmm. a bunch of this shit before you take off and you do your thing, you know? Uh, it. They're the creator. They're the ones with the power. So it makes sense that they get to make their own schedule. And yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, just the only incentive is, hey, man, let us make a couple extra bucks while you're gone then. Just yeah. throw your John Hancock down on a few of these or your Garth yeah. Hennis, your Garth Hennis, throw your, your Garth, Garth Hennis, Hennis. down us on exactly. uh, some of these and we're good to go. Yeah, I mean, I think I do think that in this case, what they what they probably did was if there's a line that forms again, I'll text you and you can come back. Because the thing about mm-hmm. Garth Ennis is and this is something that, again, creators who have made it have to deal with. Um, CGC is in play for these guys or CBCS. So people don't want a book that's signed by Garth Ennis. They want to stand there while Garth Ennis signs it because it might have to get witnessed. Yeah. Because that's the thing, right? It needs to get witnessed to be CGC. So anyway, I wanted to bring that up and I wanted to mention too that later, you know, in the mid-afternoon of Sunday, I happened to walk by James Tinian the Fourth. He was sitting there with nobody at his booth talking to a handler. So... My point is, Scott and I talk a lot about dead time, but dead time happens to absolutely everyone. And the difference between people who have, quote, made it and haven't is simply that they get to work way less hours and have the demand kind of funnel to them and not sit around during the dead time. And I don't blame them. And I would do the same thing. And I will if it comes to that. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, if we get to a point where our books and our names are recognized, you know, not necessarily our books, maybe our books, but our names as well. Yeah, a- a- absolutely. I'm not going to sit at the booth during the dead times. It's like, yeah I'll, yeah, I'll be there more than two and a half hours during a show day. But mm-hmm. yeah, it's no, it's not the 10 hours that we normally do. That's for sure. Exactly. Exactly. So, um, so yeah, I, I wanted to say that as some words of encouragement to everyone out there that's in the same boat that Scott and I are in or are you know, getting on that boat and you're getting ready to do your first show or you're doing this, just just remember this, okay? Remember that every single marquee creator out there right now would not, if they worked a full day at their booth like you all are doing, like we're doing, 
they have dead time too, and that's what's crazy about it. You know, I I I, were, I was next to a guy who had a whole lot of covers. He did a whole lot of co- covers for somebody uh, for for a bunch of different companies. He draws really nice looking women, so he had a lot of like dynamite type covers. Harley Quinn. Um, his name was Jamie Tyndall, and uh, and so he did quite a business, but he still had dead time. You know, and it's again, if you're if you're working a booth all day, then dead time's going to come into play. Yeah, I remember going to Comic Con, San Diego Comic Con, and um, the first day, uh, me and a, me and this guy I knew, we were walking around, and we're like, "Dude, that's Mike Mignola," and he was mm-hmm. just sitting there doing nothing. No one was talking to him. He didn't have anything to sell. It it didn't look like. And this was around the time that the Hellboy movies were coming out, so he was making more money than God. So I'm sure he was just like, "Yeah, I'm just here." You know, just to talk to people, hang out with old friends and sign some books from people. And and I don't really care about charging for signatures. And honestly, I think at that time, charging for signatures wasn't a big deal. Also, Garth Ennis Mm -hmm. for $5 a signature, pretty rad. Very reasonable. Yeah. Um, So the next day, that night, I was like, you know what I'm going to do? There's a costume slash props booth at San Diego Comic Con. And I saw a giant Hellboy hand. Yeah, and I'm gonna go first thing in the morning and buy that Hellboy hand and have Mike Mignola sign it. Nice. And that sure as fuck what happened. Well, I went and yeah. I bought the hand. No one was in. No one was. There's no line. Nothing in front of him. And we're like, "Hey, you're Mike Mignola." And he goes, "Yeah, that's me." And and I was yeah. like, "Hey, do you mind signing uh, this for me?" And he did. And so I have that in a glass display case in my comics room. Uh, I'll nice. take a photo of it if I remember and put it up when this episode airs. Yeah. And uh, it's fucking badass. And it, it, it cost nice. me nothing. Well, it cost me the price of the Hellboy hand. But yeah. the Hellboy hand's awesome. And I was able to just walk straight up to him because he didn't have anything for sale. And it was just yeah. he was just there to be there and to you know, hang out with old buddies and whatnot. And uh, it was freaking cool. And then the next day I had some BPRD hardcovers. Fuck it, I'm going to bring those there. And I had him sign those too. So nice. yeah, it was pretty cool. Like It's great going up to creators during their dead time. And just kind of you being the person that breaks up that monotony. Like, mm-hmm. for me as a fan, that felt good. Like, I was like, yeah. he's not doing anything. I'm sure he's going to appreciate just to talk to someone. And, you know, yeah. we didn't do the thing where you overstay your welcome. You know, it's just yeah. like, look, we're not going to stay at your booth for 20 minutes and just talk your ear off about every single little thing. Maybe aspects of the movie you didn't like or something right. like that. You know, like hit him with the good shit and then get out of there. You know, leave yeah, on a totally. high note you know, do some interactions with him and then get out of there. So it it was cool, man. He was a super cool creator. And, uh, but yeah, to your point, he's one of the most famous comic creators around and he was just sitting there doing nothing. Yep. I have a virtually identical Mike Mignola story from Big Wow San Jose. So I don't need to say much about it, except in my case, he had ash cans for sale. Oh, right on. Same thing. Walked up to an empty booth. I was like, nobody's at your booth, man. You know, like that kind of thing. I think I just said something like that. He was like, I know, right? I'm like, well, here, man. Like, here, I'll get this. What do you have to sell? He's like that. I was like, cool, I'll take it. You know, like that kind of thing. It was really badass. So, yeah. Dude, that's fucking awesome. I wish I had a Mike Mignola sketchbook. Yeah, yeah. Kyle Kyle Yount, uh, who was with me walking around at the time, we we instituted a new rule of life immediately. Anytime Mike Mignola is alone at his booth, you go there and you buy something from him and get him to sign it. (laughs) Yeah, man. That, dude, that's a great policy. Um, yeah. I was at San Diego. This is t- uh, diverging, but it's fine. It's all comics, people. Um, yeah. I was at San Diego this past year, 
and we were in small press and we had three aliens at the booth. So I was like, hey, you guys are here. You two are here. I'm going to take off. I'm going to go walk around, which I don't really like doing at shows. And sure enough, it proved perfect for this that show as well because I was gone, I think, a total of 15 minutes. I felt guilty and I, went, I came back. But yeah. um, I was like, you know what? I want to go over to Artist Alley. I want to just check some stuff out, say hi to some friends. And so I did that. Yeah, probably about 25 minutes, actually, now that I'm thinking about it, because I ended up seeing one of my old buddies and we chopped it up for quite a while. Uh, I perused the aisles real quick just to see people that I knew just to get a quick conversation in and then like take off. And then um, I remembered that Art Adams was in uh, this one of these side aisles. I was like, I'm going to go see what Art Adams has because he's one of my favorite artists. So let me go see what he has. Sure enough, he had a sketchbook for 2022. So I picked that up. Um, He already had it pre-signed. And um, he was like, yeah, you flip to this page. I think there should be a signature in there. I was like, there is. He goes, okay, you're good to go. And, uh, you know, so not not the most conversational guy around, but man, do I yeah. love his art. So I was happy to pick up that book. And that's one thing I like doing at those shows is picking up artists that I like. I like picking up their sketchbooks because yeah. you can just look through those over the years and just see all the different art that they have in there that's not necessarily yeah. published anywhere. Totally. Totally. Yeah. I mean, I, I can tell the beer's taking effect because when you said like I walked around and who did I see? I was hoping you were going to say Voltron. <laughs> well, he was probably there, too. <laughs> and then I walked up to Voltron and I said, what's up, man? Um, so my second thing, this actually this goes hand in hand with something you did a few weeks back. Uh, I think you were watching something. And in that while you're watching that thing, it related to comics. So so I'm yeah. going to do something similar. Um, nice. The other night. Uh, me and my girlfriend, we were watching Hamilton. I've already seen it. Okay. This might even been the thing you were talking about. It might have been Hamilton that you were talking about. No, it was, for me, it was Stranger Things, although I did Stranger take learnings from Hamilton. So, oh, I'm, hey, man, you finally got down with Hamilton again, too. All right. Yeah, let's so, hear it. So, I had seen it before. Um, I actually enjoyed it more the second time than I did the first time. I enjoyed it the first time, just not as much. There were times, like, mm-hmm. I remember I watched the first half, and I was like, I got to watch the second half tomorrow. This is a lot. And um, this time around, I was cool. When it hit the intermission, I was like, cool, I got to pee. Um, pause it if it runs out of time because it's like a one-minute intermission. I was like, pause it if yeah. it you know, counts down. And um, so we're watching it, and there was a scene where they they were talking about Hamilton. And then he they said he writes like he's running out of time. Oh, God, one of my favorite lines in the whole thing. And yeah. I'm like... Why do you write like it's going out of style? Uh-huh. Yeah, so so my advice to everyone here and i feel like this is a life that you and i live already because when i heard that line i a hundred percent understood what they were saying and i identified with it right away because i'd make comics like i'm running out of time Mm -hmm. because i know how much i want to do and i don't know how much time there is for me to get it done so when you guys are out there and you're creating Keep that in mind. Create like you're running out of time because tomorrow is not promised to any of us. We don't know when we're leaving this place. You know, I don't want to be morbid or anything, but that's just the simple no. truth of it all. You you never know when you're going. So accomplish what you want to accomplish in the time that you have. So I'll steal 15 minutes a day if I can somewhere. You know, like if I'm going to get a haircut, for instance, I bring my iPad with me. Because I don't know how long they're going to make me wait before the guy will actually start cutting my hair. So I have the iPad. I'll still three minutes. I'll still five minutes. And then that's five more minutes that I put in time working on the creation that I've been wanting to do. So when you guys 
are lollygagging, you're dicking around, and you know you should be working, think about this. Get back to work. And it's okay. It's okay to take time. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that you don't deserve time to yourself. Everyone deserves time to yourself. But if you're on your phone and you're just scrolling through Facebook, you're just scrolling through Instagram, you're hopping from app to app to app because you're bored, you should be working. Those are the times that you should be working. You, you really want to get that notification on your phone that says you've been on the phone for X amount of hours. So whatever your high point of hours is, I think at one point, I think I was on the phone six to seven hours a day. It Mine's down to four, but that also includes YouTube time where I'm watching videos and drawing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it does, it's not exactly accurate as to what that phone time is because you might be using it for the purposes of art or creation, but... More than likely, you're dicking around on social media. So just make sure you're creating when you can at all times. Like, don't don't let time slip by. And before you know it, you don't have time to do this. Your life got way more complicated than it was before. And you don't have time to do all these creator-owned things. Um, so just make sure you're doing that. Create like you're running out of time. Yeah, man. That's not just 100. That's fucking 10,000 right there. No, I got nothing. I got nothing to add. So let me go into my my third. I mean, honestly, in a in a perfect world, I would just sit here for like three minutes and let what you just said soak in. But three minutes of podcast dead time would be weird. So let's just keep going, and I will be very anticlimactic and talk about my third thing, and um, which which is animals. I actually just had this breakthrough. Uh, a few minutes ago when we were recording the podcast and I've been struggling, you know, Scott actually brought this up, I think on last week's episode or maybe the week before how I'm working with rigid art that's already in place. And he was like, I don't know how you do it. It's pretty hellish from how you make it sound. And I, I'm happy to say that I solved the final problem. And what the final problem was, was that I had about three pages of dialogue that was delivering plot And I only really had one good page of art to base it around. So I spent some time looking for additional pages of art or ways to cut and paste or ways to do all this stuff. How can I add some art here to make this work? And I said, wait a minute. Today was the day where I thought, why don't I reverse the equation? Why don't I really ask myself if I need three pages to deliver this information? And God damn it, I didn't. Now... Again, I I think it's either Stephen King, Toni Morrison, or both that have the famous phrase, kill your darlings. You know, when it comes to writing, you got to get rid of stuff you love if it doesn't serve the story. And when I really, really put some hard scrutiny to what I was saying in those three pages of animals, I realized that I could do it in one. Hmm. And so I did. I condensed it all into one. Now, the jury's still out. You know, the, the, the mighty Mike Perkins is still going to need to weigh in on this, but I feel very good about it. And now it's clean. And so while I thought Animals Issue 1 was going to be somewhere around maybe 35 to 38 pages, um, maybe even 40, that's what it was clocking in at before. It's now looking like around 33. So... That's what you do. You cut it, you make it leaner, you make it meaner. Trim and the fat. 
Yeah, and I think I'll be good to go. And there's still plenty of good stuff there. Again, I might I might need to do some rewrites, but I think this I think that I think I'm close. I think this is the time where I'm close, and I'm using the art I have very well. And uh, I think the story has some cool propulsion to it. So by the time we record next week, I expect that this comic is going to be done, and I will have sent it off to Mike. And unlike scripts, you know, comics are way easier to read than scripts. So I wouldn't be surprised if the turnaround time from Mike is a lot quicker on this one. Although, because it's a critical read and because he's going to give notes, you know, that's not just something you do in an hour. But yeah, man, I feel really good. I feel like this story has reached the form of of its intent for now. And we will see if there are any edits. But I think if we if there are edits now, there are going to be slight tweaks to dialogue, which is just changing out word balloons. So that's not a big deal. But... um you know, in retrospect, now that we're four weeks, three weeks in to this whole, I've just got to remember that was a declaration I made. I said, I've just got to put this in a comic with word balloons and text boxes to see how it works. And best thing I've done, you know, because staring at scripts is all well and good. But once you put it into action and word balloons and all that stuff, you realize that there is room for further economization. And that's what I did. And I feel really good about it. And I only have one scene left to letter. And it is a scene where I I expect my own editing to be light because it's good and it's clean. And I think it's going to serve the purpose of the story. So I think I'm going to have a little bit of a luxury these next few days while I finish lettering on, I think, that eight-page chapter because it's going to be back to more brainless stuff. I'm going to be able to put on music a little bit more and maybe not think as hard while I'm doing the lettering. So onward we go, and by next week I should have a finished version of this draft of animals, so like draft number three, and uh, and I, I think we're getting close. Hell yeah, man. Like It seems like a lot of the stuff that you've been working on is coming to a conclusion. And that's that's a that's a great thing because that means you got to start the next project. The, you know, rolling the mountain up the hill that we do when we're making comics. It's just yeah. like okay, we get on we get it on one little cliff, and hey, there goes that one. We got that one taken care of, but we start over yep. again. But uh, yeah, yeah always exactly. always fun to finish these projects. That's for sure. Yes, man. All right, so we're hitting the main topic for this week, and we're calling it "Strike First, Strike Hard." You know what's interesting? That's never been taken by anything anywhere. So I know that this is an original phrase that we just coined there with strike first, strike hard. That's right. Keith's on. <laughs> that has never been used anywhere else. All right. So what we mean with exactly. what we mean by that is starting your comic off with a bang, start starting off hot, starting off with something interesting. Um, yeah. To get your readers into where you're going for that issue. So yeah. um, we both have a couple of examples of books that we've picked out and that we think that they start off with a bang. They strike they strike first, they strike hard. So, Keith, what was your first one? First of all, I just want to mention that, like, you guys really need to understand the five-star experience you're getting. Like, Scott and I even, we even compared notes before this episode. We even shared pages of the comics that we were going to talk about this episode. It's like a first. 97 episodes in. <laughs> 98, are, I don't even know. This this is the five-star fucking experience that we give you, <laughs> right? So, yeah, man, it, it only took us 98 episodes or so to realize that it would be great if we actually shared notes with each other before we recorded. And I'm pretty excited to talk about this. So what I think is very cool about this segment is that both of us in the two comics we've chosen 
are choosing things that I think gravitate just a little bit more toward who we are. Me as a writer and Scott as an artist, because I think Scott's two choices are super dope and incredibly like visceral, right? They're, they're visual, they're strong, they get in your face and they just punch you. And mine are strong in a, ooh, some shit is going on here kind of way. And so the first one I want to talk about is, I don't know, I think I'm going to start mainstream. I'm going to start with one of the comics that ensured I love comics. So I have mentioned this before on the podcast as one of my favorite little arcs way back in the day when I was first getting into comics. This is from Batman 452. And it is part one of a three-part story called Dark Knight, Dark City, which is a very dark, no pun intended because of the title, three-issue thing involving the Riddler and demonic worship and sacrifice and all kinds of wild shit. So 452, uh, let's see, Peter Milligan wrote it, and it looks like Kieran Dwyer did pencils. And uh, hey, man, this this issue starts with a very cool two-page scene to get you going. And what it is is you start with the confessions of, let me see here, of Jacob Stockman from 1793. And it's basically a journal where he and a lot of people in power, including a named founding father of the country, he details this demonic ritual that they did. And basically they they get, you know, they've secured a person and that they are going to sacrifice this person to the on on the black altar with a sacrificial knife to the demon, right? So this story arc starts with those two pages. And then the third page, because I, I like talking about the first three pages, because it's really the first, you know, turn of the story that you're getting into, you then immediately get jumped into a very cool description and some nice art of Batman meeting Commissioner Gordon on the roof. So it's it's really cool the way it, it gets going. And again, it 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 hits with a impact, with an impact. But it doesn't necessarily do it by showing fists to face. But what it does is it hooks you and it lets you know some shit is going down. We've got we've got demonic sacrifice going on here and we've got the founding fathers of somewhere, you know, may, probably the country, but we're just not sure yet. And it's enough to to raise those questions, those great kind of questions that are that are going to keep the reader going. What the hell is going on? What does this mean? And what's going to happen? And as long as you're doing those kind of things early on in a book, you are starting with an impact because you're hooking the reader and you're getting them to ask the right kind of questions. And Keith sent me uh, images of these. He took pictures of the pages. It starts off with a three-panel page, long, long, tall panels. And it's a great example of interesting, an interesting Talking Heads page. Um, it is a narrator over those panels, but it's three different versions of faces, like essentially, like three different shots of faces. You know, you kind of got like a couple of mid shots and a one close up shot. Great, great coloring by the colorist here, um, who is uh, Adrian Roy. And yeah. yeah, they did a great job with giving the scene some feeling. So it's lots of shades of reds uh, going on in the first two panels to set things up. And the next page, it's they really amp up the red. So you get this demonic witchcraft uh, vibe going on. A lot of up angles too, which do this like um, 
underlighting almost on some of the characters, some mm-hmm. cast, cast shadows um, on faces, and it just really sets the mood. So art-wise, they're starting off strong. It's definitely, definitely giving you the vibe of what's going on in the story, and then it cuts to modern times. You have... It's a six-page panel, or excuse me, six-panel page. Let's reverse that. The first three are silhouettes of Batman in different shots, different angles, different ways of doing those silhouettes, and they look fantastic. Like, you you don't need all the detail in the world with every single panel to hook somebody. Man, if uh, Joe Matarera, his rule of thumb is one silhouette per page. Not always, but more than likely, one silhouette per page. So um, this page here, they're doing three right off the bat, and it works so, so well. Um, and then you get a progress shot of uh, you know, uh, Commissioner Gordon on the rooftop looking at his watch. The second panel, it's the same shot, same angle, everything. The only thing different is he's no longer looking at his watch. He's lighting a match. He's lighting a, uh, lighting a, a cigar or cigarette, whatever he smokes. And then that third mm-hmm. panel, close-up of Batman's face. So um, it's a great three-page start and really hooks you just on the story alone hell yeah man yeah so what was your first one so i'm gonna go with um curious and curious sir i'm gonna go with savage dragon let's go with savage dragon 84 so savage dragon is an excellent title um it is the precursor to invincible essentially like the way that's eric larson writes savage dragon uh robert kirkman took the cue from Eric Larson when he was writing Invincible. So a lot of times the way that Savage Dragon is laid out, a lot of times that's how Invincible is laid out. And uh, something that Eric Larson does, he got this from Kirby. He starts you off with a single uh, single page splash on page one. Boom, turn the page, double page splash. So a large majority of Savage Dragon issues, if you flip through it, more than likely that's going to be the scenario. That's just how he likes to lay out his books. It's the way Kirby did it, so it's the way that Eric Larson likes to do it. Now, it's not every single issue, because I did open up a few a few issues just to see. I was like, hey, what does this first page, double page splash look like? The first one I opened didn't have it, because it was starting off with more of a slower slower story more of a a talking head situation but i think the context of that story was what they were talking about and that's what made that start off with with the splash this book for instance it is a giant splash page of uh brain ape who is kind of like gorilla grod but he has like a it's an ape with a fishbowl on his head and there is a brain inside and so it starts off with a splash page with that and you turn the page and it is madman and the atomics attacking savage dragon and like throwing spears in him and it's a pretty cool double page splash um and you know the the story moves on their dragons trying to figure out what's going on obviously the atomics are being uh, mind controlled and uh you know he's trying to find a solution to that problem but the way that eric larson makes comics he starts them off fast, he starts them off interesting, and he starts them off usually in the middle of a story. And honestly, I love that style of comic book because it's like, hey, let you let let me get you into the action so you can feel feel the energy of the story. You can feel the this scene. Um, and then after that, we'll slow it down and then we'll talk about what's going on with the characters, their feelings 
whatever the case, how they got out of that scenario, but it keeps you going right away. Right away, it starts you off hot and kind of makes you want more. So when you do slow down, you're kind of okay with it because you've already got a lot of action to begin with. Yeah. I mean, it is very adrenaline surge looking at those few pages when you sent them to me. It was like a it's like a, it's like one of those over sugared, over taurined, over caffeinated energy drinks of a comic book. You know, you're just like fuck. Okay, yeah, let's go. Let's fight. Let's fight right now. To, to quote The Simpsons, like let's fight. Those are fighting words, right? So, <laughs> yeah, man, it was uh, it definitely. I mean, you know, the colors are vibrant. There's there's just big dynamic action going on, and it looks wonderful. And it, yeah, man, everything Scott said is is that way. It's 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 Hagler Hearns, man. It just comes right out, and it's it's just high action from the jump, and it, it pumps you up immediately. Right on. One thing I didn't mention, so uh, when I did spill my beer, I was like, I deserve another beer because most of that's on the table and the floor. I ended up going with Brewery X, one of the Making Comics favorites around here, Warplanes Hazy Pale Ale. It is only a 5.8, but I have had a bunch of this Galaxy 1, which was 8. So, uh, Yeah. And I and I went ahead and got myself some bourbon because why not? Oh, why not? We are getting crazy. All this right, my is a friend. Special episode. That's yeah, right. Special, special episode of Blossom over here. Uh, hey, exactly. What's your next one? Yeah. So my next one, my second one. We're again, we're doing two each. Is I went with something is killing the children. Number one. You know so, what's funny though? When you sent me that, you're like, I think I'm going to do. Uh, let's see. You said S I. KTC number one. You know what's funny is I thought you meant that Wolverine shorts uh, miniseries called Schnicked. Mm. And I was like, oh, he's doing Wolverine? Oh, that's interesting. I, I like. I just thought you misspelled it. I thought it was an accident, a typo. And I was like, I don't have Schnicked number one. So I was like, hey, I don't have that. Can you send it to me? And then like I was, and then when I saw the pages, I was like, "Oh, this is something killing the children." Oh, I do have number one, but uh, anyway, this this was very helpful. So it was kind of a funny miscue there. That was my hunch, but I didn't want to say anything because when you said I don't have it, I'm like, I could have swore you do. But yeah, <laughs> fuck do. it. Okay, fuck it. I'll I'll send it. <laughs> I I was like, I'll send it, and I will spell out something is killing the children just in case. And then if if he's seen it already, then even easier. So anyway, back back to our program. These first three pages, when, you know, like, I got into Something is Killing the Children late. I think by the time I was able to collect single issues, it was on issue 11. So my exposure was as a trade. It came on recommendation from Funky, Shout Funky, to um, from Comic Book Hideout in Fullerton. And uh, three pages in, this goddamn story hooked me. And I have recommended this book to a bunch of people, and everybody comes back and they're like, yeah, this is great. I, I don't know if I've mentioned it on the podcast, but I mention it to people that I think this is a classic in the making that we are witnessing. And I think 10 years from now, this might very well be the definitive comic that we think about when we think of like 2018 to 2022, um, especially if it ends up becoming a TV show. So what's brilliant about these first three pages is it's a bunch of kids playing truth or dare. I'll just summarize it. And so this one kid proceeds to take truth and then he talks about how just outside his window, he sees... Uh, I'll, I'll just read some of it, okay? I turned out the lights in the TV room. In this room right here, this is page two. I just wanted to see what was out there. So I looked out that window. And just for a second, I saw this... I don't know. This thing. Standing taller than a tree. 
standing in the middle of the yard, like it had been walking towards the house, but the lights going off confused it. It had these long fingers and sharp teeth. I went and hid under the blankets on the couch and just listened in the dark for like an hour before looking again, but nothing was there. The yard was just empty. And then there's a silent panel after that, and then things proceed. Dude, that's how you start a fucking book right there. You know, like, that is, I am immediately in, because we know things. We know things as the audience, right? Because of the conceit of reading a comic book about this, we know damn well some shit is going on. Like, this isn't this isn't just some nonsense story, because if it was a nonsense story, it wouldn't have even been important enough to include in the story. And we also know the title of the book we're reading is called Something is Killing the Children, <laughs> right? So all of these things are things we walk into page one, two, and three on. So when this hits, it's like, oh, yeah, man, let's go, right? So you don't have to start with, with again, a roundhouse kick to the face to give people a roundhouse kick to the face. And I just thought this was such a great way of getting into the story. And and to take it a little bit further... You know, the on page three, the kids basically sort of one of the kids calls BS and then he says and then this kid who just told the story basically says, Okay, you know, truth or dare. And that's how it ends. And then you turn the page and all of a sudden you're in the police station and this kid is answering questions. So you know something happened, right? So again, just just a proper way to start a story and launch it and get people hooked and asking all the right questions and horror fans are going bonkers because they're just thinking like, Oh my God, something's going on here and I can't wait to get to the bottom of it. That's great, man. Yeah. No, I definitely need to start reading those. I do have issue one. Um, and I do have, I think, I don't know, 11 through current. Um, but I think I will pick up the trades because that issue one is costs a pretty penny these days. So I don't want to yeah. mess it up with my my dirty little fingers. And uh, hell yeah, look at you. Yeah, but see, the, the, I don't know. I'll have to look this up again. I don't know if this is worth something or worthless. What number is that? This is number one, but oh. it was a retail. It was a retailer only number one. Oh, that's then it's essentially worth a lot. number one and a first print, but it's a metallic cover. Oh, that's probably um, worth so, quite a bit. <laughs> I don't know. It wasn't. It wasn't worth shit a while ago for whatever reason. Oh, it was okay. worth exactly what I paid for it, which was ten bucks. Um, oh, okay. So maybe it's gone up. Maybe it hasn't. But I mean, when I look at the the title page in the back, I don't see anything that says second printing or anything like that. I mean, it says, "Yeah, something is killing the children." Number one, November twenty twenty. Like that's what it says. Doesn't have any kind of, you know. Oh, that funky... might be a reprint because. Um... Issue one came out quite a while ago, no? Was that 2020? I don't know why it would have been anything other than 2020. Again, it doesn't matter. I like having it. It's kind of yeah, fun. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yes, I, I don't know it, was, it was a retailer-only version of Something is Killing the Children. And it, it's a variant. Um, and it was done for local comic shop day, is what it says on the back. So, you know, it's funny the way these things work. Sometimes, work. Sometimes they are just worth complete trash. Um, but that's okay. I'm happy that I have it. And uh, again, to that point, I, I have this, and then I have 11 and on, and I have trade paperbacks of the first two. Right on. Yeah, th- that I mean, that's obviously a great intro to that story. It does hook you right away. The art is very cool. It is very... Um, let me look at this and try to describe it. It kind of... Um, there's something about it. It's almost Jay Lee-ish, but... N- 
it's it's obviously not. You look at it, you don't think Jay Lee, but there's just like some nuances about it that kind of remind me of it. Um, it's a it's very like single line, and um, there's just something interesting about it but there's just yeah like i said there's certain panels that remind me of jay lee like looking at the art itself you wouldn't think that like if you saw the detailing of it and it's just like yeah that's obviously not him but i could see him potentially being an influence to this artist um really greatly done very nice work um single line images and uh, the coloring is excellent definitely sets the mood so um, and nothing more to say there, really. So if you guys haven't yeah. read Something is really Killing the Children, like I've read issue one. I haven't read anything beyond that. So I definitely want to hop back in and read the rest of the series. You guys should check that out. Go check out the uh, trade paperback or the hardcover, whatever you get your hands on. Yeah. Um, so my second title is Saga from Brian K. Vaughn and Fiona Staples. So I chose Saga number nine because I wanted – I was honestly – I was looking for a different issue. So there is an issue – that starts off with a single page splash, which Brian K. Vaughn is one to do. Like he loves the single page splash to start the story off. Um, I think all of the issues of Saga start that exact same way. Don't hold me to that, but I am pretty sure that each issue starts off with a single page splash. Um, there was one where it was a close up of Under an Ogre. Um, so it was his like nuts. Uh, it was like a shot from behind and it was like an ogre's nutsack and it was just really fucked up looking and you're just like what is happening but you've yeah. already been through enough saga issues where you go i know what's happening but this is still fucked up to open up to yeah yeah so, i mean a, a quick thing that yeah, that yeah anybody who talks about saga always comes back to the ogre's nuts <laughs> right yeah. the ogre's nuts are like the definitive way to talk about saga <laughs> so yeah man it, it's, it's definitely a way to start you off you you know yeah. what you're getting into when you're starting off with a giant pair of ogre's nuts and so again yeah. this that's not issue nine i could not find that issue i went through the first nine issues to look for something that was going to grab me and so i went with this one and it is a single page splash and she is uh, Mama Sun, which is a term, Mama Sun is usually a term for a woman that runs a whorehouse. And uh, this lady is Mama Sun because she has a Sun-style headdress. She's an alien. She has a couple of barbarian, He-Man-looking muscled guys behind her. They do not have heads. Where their, their nipples are, those are their eyes and their eyebrows. And where their crotch is, it is another little head. Oh, <laughs> it's yeah, so it's crazy! Bonkers. I mean, again, the saga is so great, man. <laughs> yeah, it's bonkers. I'm so happy that that book sure. is popular. Yeah, like a book for a book that weird to be that popular is just a delight. So where their junk is, it's another little face with yeah. eyes and nose and a mouth. So it's just it's just so weird. Um, and their tongue comes out of their belly button. So anyway, so that's the that's the opening page to this, and. Brian K. Vaughn runs, runs his books the way that we talk about here. You end the book with a cliffhanger every single time, and that is what he does. He starts you off wanting, or he starts you off with a single page splash, letting you know, hey, some crazy shit's about to go down, and you're about to read it. And then you read the issue, and then he leaves you on a cliffhanger. So he starts you off hot, he ends you hot. That's how you want to make your comic books. And that's why he is so so famous and you know so revered for what he does 
And this story specifically is the Will trying to get a young girl who is in Mama Son's house. Um, so she is a worker there, and he does not want her to be a worker there. So a fight pursues. He destroy. He, he kills those uh, those gladiator dudes, and then his partner, um, who is a tarantula style woman with no arms on her torso, but her legs are multiple legs, multiple arms, um, is you know wielding a shotgun, has killed people, and then she slices Mama San's head off so it's kind of a crazy way to start it starts you off hot hot starts you off fast and that's just how i like my comic books like i like to do comic books the same way uh, ed knows that he writes stories accordingly if you check out second shift usually the first three to uh five pages is that introductory story to start you off hot and to move you through the issue so that's just something we like to do we start you off hot and then we end with that cliffhanger so um um you know, I don't know if it's through osmosis or it's just something that Ed does naturally. Um, yeah. But, you know, that saga style uh, formatting has shined through to our own books and uh, it's definitely worth checking out. Yeah. I mean, what a what a brilliant way to start off an issue of a comic, you know. And uh, so, yeah, I, I, I don't have much to add there, but I can add that it is something that I don't necessarily try to do. I mean, I don't know. Once you start to do comics for a while, you start to play with it, you know, but I can tell you for a fact that, you know, when I pitch Kadoja at shows, I bring up the first five pages. The first five pages get you into Kadoja super quick and you see the monster on page four and it is tearing shit up, you know, and so no time is wasted. Um, and, and for me, what's interesting, you know, you're saying like, I don't know kind of where this thing comes from. I definitely got it from music. Because by being a metalhead, I've always been the kind of person that believes in a strong opener and a strong closer to a record. And in a lot of ways, that's what we're talking about with issues. It's what we're talking about with arcs. And it's the sort of Russian nesting doll that you want to do with your stories to make sure that you are starting with impacts in the right places and being impactful in the right places. But I mean, my favorite metal albums of all time completely do this they punch you in the face they they get it started by punching you in the face metallica master of puppets battery doesn't necessarily punch you in the face in the first 45 seconds but it punches you in the face it's the opener and it hits you hard you know slayer rain and blood its first song boom right there with a riff you know pantera far beyond driven starts with a scream and then just a blasting ass riff so i mean a lot of my favorite records of all time do that and it's something that i like to follow in music and in stories you know the first time i heard something like this and and you know uh, i have no bearing on how ed writes the story but the first time i heard something about this and i like to keep this in mind when it comes to art and everything else is a high fidelity where he talks about the art of an album mm -hmm. you want to start it off hot you want to like it not overly hot. You want to start it off hot. You want to keep them there for a little way, uh, a little while. You can start to bring it down for a bit yep. in the middle, and then you bring it back up towards the end. 
and and so there's a flow to it and i actually started doing that when i was creating mixtapes back in the day like mix cds of course yeah it's just like okay so what did he say in high fidelity oh yeah you got to start it off hot get people into it so your first three songs yeah it's it's hot it's hot you're building you're building you can bring it down you can start bringing it down all right they don't want to stay hot too long you don't want to drain all the energy and so you know that like you said you can you can apply that to many of things you can apply that to comic books for sure Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. No. So again, that was that was a fun conversation. And uh, yeah, I'm happy that we got to dig into our collection in some new kind of interesting places and uh, spotlight some creators that we haven't talked a lot about in this run of episodes we're doing where we're just trying to use our own comic collection to spur on the conversation. Yeah, and, and I will say that I've been using these conversations for the last, I don't know, like three episodes that we've done. We've been diving into our comic book collection. I've been cheating a little bit. I've been going to the greatest hits for me, th- books that I talk about all the time. I've We've talked about me collecting Savage Dragon. You know, we never really, I don't think, went into depth why I collect it. Um, so this is one of those reasons he always start eric larson always starts you off hot he gives you a lot of action right away and then he can slow it down just like that mixtape and um you know fiona staples brian k vaughn with with saga i think we've mentioned it here or there we didn't get to go in depth as to why we like these books but you know beyond them just being famous amazing creators um you know it's nice to spotlight it in the sense that we're breaking it down a little bit for the audience totally Right on, man. Okay, cool. So that'll do it for the main topic for this week. Keith, you got any bullshit that you want to bring? I got a little bit of a bullshit. I'm going to merge all my bullshit and kind of center it around Vegas again. So the first thing about Vegas that I want to talk about, for I think people in the know know this. Prostitutes are cheap there. Yeah. So number one, they're not. <laughs> <laughs> they're not. Oh, oh, I don't um, know. <laughs> yeah. Not that I would know that. <laughs> I have friends. No, really, I do. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so the the thing the thing that blows me away about Vegas, whenever I go there, is how good the food is. And I don't mean the food on the strip. I mean the fucking food everywhere. Like there are so many awesome ass restaurants everywhere outside of the strip on Vegas. Because we know the restaurants on the strip are good. They're also expensive. I'm talking about where the people live where the neighborhoods are, where the, you know, where the houses are, where all these strip malls are. Because Vegas, Vegas is one of those big strip mall towns. You know, there's a lot of towns like this. L.A. is one. Miami, Florida is one. It's like life happens in strip malls in these places. And Vegas has bonkers food in strip malls. I've had the best, like, um, noodle dish of my life at this place way out in the burbs in Vegas the last time I was there. And, um... This time, so I'm at my table on the first day, and oh, I did I mention this, Scott? I don't think I did. So when we recorded that last podcast, I drank, as you know, we had we we split three beers, and then I had bought myself a, a what's it called, a burrito from a Lolita's, a California mm-hmm. burrito. Jealous. I ate I ate too much of it. Okay, I ate oh, too much of it. Okay. So by the time I drove home, I could tell I still wasn't done digesting. So then I laid down for a while and I still wasn't done digesting. I woke back up at midnight and I'm like, I still don't feel that good. By the way, if you're not old yet, this is the kind of shit you have to look forward to. Okay. <laughs> like, you know, you can't eat that late. Like why do people make jokes about old farts eating at four o'clock? Like this is why your body slows down a little bit. So I, I woke back up at midnight and I'm like, fuck it. I gotta like, I gotta do this move that I do sometimes, which is I sleep. 
I fall asleep in this single person recliner chair I have so that I can just be upright. I fell asleep in that chair. I woke up at 3 a.m. and I was like, okay, I'm finally okay. I go back to bed. I wake up and go to Vegas the next day, but I still don't feel right the whole fucking day. So through the day, I drive, I'm eating light. I'm still not feeling great because like it's like the meal from Lolita's has filled me for for 17 hours. <laughs> you know, like that's just the way it works. And uh, and I'm at the table. I'm still not feeling great. And I'm like, OK, I, I want to eat something, but I want to eat something somewhat light. What can I eat? And I look up and the thing that tickles my fancy is a Spam Masubi, gourmet Spam Masubi place not too far called Onigiri. And I go to this place and I actually posted it on my stories. It is in one of these strip malls, but it's like it's like a super strip mall. It must have had 50 various Asian restaurants there. It was oh, wow. like it was like I, I had to wait 10 minutes to find a place to park, dude. It was like a mall at Christmas. It was bonkers. So I finally get it. It was amazing food. And I proceeded to have a few other meals. I'm not going to talk about them. But the food just is so good there. And I don't know what it is, you know, but man, what a great place to just eat cheap and eat. Maybe not cheap sometimes, but like just strip malls, dope restaurants like like Yelp was made for that place. You can find such cool stuff there the whole time. So I'm just going to merge all these things together and then we can go from there. The other thing that relates to the convention is a person was talking to me at my booth and the person um, had moved to Vegas because they're a voice actor. And they'd moved from Nebraska to Vegas and they were trying to break into voice actors. So they were talking about they were talking about these D&D modules they were doing and how they kind of do D&D and they DM based off these things in the DC universe and Marvel universe. And so they're talking through. I'm like, oh, that sounds kind of moderately interesting. And then the guy says, "Um, so, yeah, I did this one module based on the Black Winter. Right. So blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, sorry, what's the Black Winter? And. He's like, well, you know what the Black Winter is, right? I'm like, I do not know what the Black Winter is. I am asking, I'm asking you. And he's like, okay, so you know how Galactus eats planets? And immediately in my brain, I'm like, tell me more, please. <laughs> you know, he's like, well, the Black Winter is like a huge, like, like cosmic entity that eats universes. Now, right around that time in my head, my brain is going, Holy shit, holy shit, holy shit. That sounds like the most amazing thing that you totally love, <laughs> right? So I continued that conversation. And I'm just thinking like, I'm sort of looking forward to some dead time so I can look up this Black Winter thing. And uh, for, you know, to race to the end, the conversation ends. I look up Black Winter. It turns out that it's in a Thor run. That oh. uh, Yeah, it's in a Thor run that Donny Cates did. That's the first appearance of the Black Winter. So I proceeded, among other things, Scott, to get all of those issues. Look at oh, that, wow. bitch. <laughs> <laughs> all of the packages showed up yesterday. What I'm holding in my hand is five eBay packages. Um, now, what I didn't do is get first prints of everything that tied to this. It's like Thor 1 through 6 from 2020. And the first appearance of this Black Winter was in Thor number five. And I have my copy. So if you want to go get it, go grab it. But the other copies I got, I think like maybe of of one through six, which is the complete arc of this story. I think I got maybe three first prints and three like beyond prints because I just didn't feel like overspending for, you know, a six issue thing of a comic. Plus, I liked the covers more 
for like the third print for one, the fourth print for the other, you know, etc. So I got all the covers I liked. And aside from the first one, which I paid, you know, a pretty decent price for, but still a collector price. Um, I got the books I wanted and I'm excited to sit down and read them. I'm really excited about this idea of the Black Winter of like Galactus, but but worse, but somehow bigger and more Lovecraftian like Galactus is Lovecraftian. So if you say there's something even bigger and more Lovecraftian, I'm just I could not be more in on this idea, (laughs) you know. So anyway, all good. But yeah, that was that was my kind of couple merges of bullshit all welded together. Right on, man. That sounds very cool. How about, yeah, how about you, man? Um, so my my bullshit is movie and TV related. Um, so number one, for you nerds out there, which is all of you, uh, go watch Moonfall. And I'm not recommending this to you because it's good. <laughs> I want you to watch this, and I want you to tell me what you think of this movie. So... If you watch the, I think it's on, I think it's on HBO Max. I, I can't be sure. Um, but if you go watch this, like when you scroll to something on streaming, on streaming sites, it'll start playing a little trailer of mm-hmm. whatever you're going to watch, right? It's not the official trailer, but they'll, they'll play you a scene or two. Yeah. And so I put my scroller over the Moonfall uh, uh, title sequence and it starts playing. And it is a disaster movie. It, it thinks it, it makes you think it is a disaster movie, and and it kind of is, and it kind of isn't. So, essentially, the moon has come out of orbit and it is going to collide with the Earth in a matter of weeks. So I was like, okay, why not? I've been in the mood for kind of like these disaster movies, these kind of like kind of like dumb action movies. Um, I'm just like, I kind of need them in the background and I'm, I don't know. I'm just in the right headspace for it. So I put this movie on and it takes a crazy sci-fi turn halfway through the movie. And I'm like, what the fuck? What, what is, what's happening? And I'm like, is this really what it's about? Or is this this guy's theory? It's what the movie's about. So while I'm debating in my mind if I like what's happening, I realize that the sci-fi element is the only thing that I now care about with this movie. Like, the disaster movie shit, I'm over it. It's done. When they when they introduce this element of it, I'm like, yeah, yeah, let, let's let's go into this, please. This is what I care about. And so it's it's kind of interesting. I don't know. I can't tell you that it's worth your time, but it's worth, it's worth my time. It's worth... It's worth me sacrificing your time. How about that? I <laughs> want to time. sacrifice yeah. <laughs> your time to watch this movie because I want you to tell me what you think about this movie. So, okay, we, so we, it sounds, yeah, it sounds interesting to think about at minimum, at least from a creator perspective, right? Like yes. it sounds like there's a couple levels we can enjoy this on. You can kind of watch it, but you can also think about it as a creator. And that sounds like the thing you're more interested in having people think about. Absolutely. Yes. And and so like I posted on Facebook about it. I had had some people talk to me about it. And one listener of the show, Brian Clark, um, he engaged me on there. He started, you know, he hadn't watched it yet. And I was like, look, just watch it for this. You know, like I didn't say what it was. Just watch it for the sci-fi element. And he came back and he, and apparently had a good time with it. So, okay. um, yeah. So there there's some stuff there. Um, it's not a great movie, but there's something interesting about it and it's just something I enjoy. And, uh, the other thing, it actually kind of ties in with this in the sense that 
it has an actor from Game of Thrones, um, John Bradley, who plays Samuel Tolly or some 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 something like that. Um, he is one of the main characters in Moonfall. So uh, relating to that, I started watching House of Dragon which is the continuation of Game of Thrones. And it takes place, I believe, 200 years before Game of Thrones. So you have the house's names, essentially, that you recognize, but that's it. You won't get any characters that you would know. Um, Possibly, like, characters they referred to previously, like in in Game of Thrones, like, oh, my great-great-grandfather, so-and-so. You know, so you'll get those characters, um, the first episode is kind of like, yeah, yeah, this is all right. This is okay, I guess. And then the more the series goes on, the more interesting it gets. And the more, honestly, the first episode, it doesn't feel like Game of Thrones. But the more the series goes on, you're like, okay, we're really getting into what makes Game of Thrones Game of Thrones. So um, it's a nice addition to the overall story since Game of Thrones ended with in a whimper, in my opinion. Um, this is a nice addition to it and it's just interesting. So hopefully it finishes stronger than Game of Thrones actually did. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. I've, I've never been able to get into Game of Thrones, but I'll give Moonfall a try. I actually have some time to myself cause, uh, my wife's going out of town and, uh, football sort of sucks this weekend. So of, <laughs> of course I, I still have to do a bunch of stuff. Like I know what games are going to be on this weekend and not a lot there, but, um, I will say, you know what, I'm going to speak it into existence so I can actually get down to it. Because I'm trying to, when I watch Stranger Things, I told my wife, okay, I'm going to watch Stranger Things. And and make no mistake, I want to watch Stranger Things Season 4. But I still want to attach a condition to it. And the condition is, I want you to watch the first episode ever of The Wire with me. Because I have heard that is the greatest show ever. And if, and if people don't think it's the greatest show ever, it's top five. So I am speaking this now. So that people can hit me up and go, did you watch The Wire? Because if I haven't watched the hour by the, the Wire by the time this fucking thing airs, I'm going to watch it and I want you to shame me into watching it. Because I want to watch it. And uh, I'm going to give it a go. Because, again, I've heard amazing things about it. It's a gritty Baltimore political slash crime drama. And uh, it sounds amazing. And, again, I've heard wonderful things about it. In fact, my novel mentor was the first one to recommend it. It's like, I, of you of all people, I can't believe you have not watched it. You know, so that's what he said. It, again, to him, it's the greatest show ever. So um, really looking forward to that. Yeah, I've heard the same thing. Um, one thing I have heard, though, it is dated um, with mm-hmm. obviously from when it was created. And so there's certain elements of it that will kind of pull you out because of how dated it is. But overall, oh, okay. I've heard the exact same thing. Yep. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Rock on. Rock on. Right All right, man. man. So, uh, hey. We did it, right? Bullshit. Yeah, bullshit, yeah, yeah. Com- we, we have brought the bullshit. We gave you all of the comic nerd knowledge that you guys needed. And uh, so another episode is in the can, my friend. So what is there left to do but talk about social medias, five stars, and Gmail. So um, you can yeah. catch me at Scott Lost, S-C-O-T-T-L-O-S-T, on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook.com forward slash Scott Lost. Yeah, Instagram is my preferred social media. I don't really do Twitter, even though I theoretically exist there. So at Keith underscore Invader is your boy Keith on Instagram. And if you want a little bit less like breadth of the Keith experience and you only care about giant monsters, well, then I have at Kadoja Kaiju. I post far less frequently there, but I do post with giant monster stuff from time to time. 
And you can uh, find my books at accidentalaliens.com, Second Shift, The Tale of Minimum Wage Workers During the Day, Superheroes at Night, and Wanders of Melsonda, Anthropomorphic Dinosaurs vs. Humans at accidentalaliens.com. There's actually some other books there that I have partaken in. Accidental Alien Anthologies 2017, 18, and 19. 17 is digital only. That has far been out of print. Uh, first appears Wanders of Melisande, by the way. So if you have 2017, pretty cool on you. Um, 2018 and 19 are still in print. Those are there. Tales from the Mothership is also available. All of those are winding down in numbers. We do not have that much left. I would say 25 to 35 25 to 50 copies uh, anywhere in between there. Once those are gone, they are gone. We are not reprinting those stories. So um, pick those up while you can at accidentalaliens.com as well as Second Shift and Wanders of Melisande. Yeah, and for me, it's keithrfoster.com. That is my website. There are blog posts, which we are now adding to through this podcast. We had a blog post for our awesome endeavor into AI art. And depending <laughs> on how how lazy or not I was, um, hopefully I did a blog post by now for the Kagan McLeod panel that we talked about last episode. And uh, I'm going to talk to Scott and maybe we can throw up these pages as well that we talked about today because it's really important to see them so you can understand how they work. And I would love to have the blog section of my website become sort of a, an ex, you know extant document there that uh, allows people to consult stuff and, and learn more about the comics process. So you can also get stuff on the store there. I have three protectors there. I have Kadoja. And I just got notification today that Kadoja Volume 4 Number 1 has shipped from the printer. So number one, that'll be on the web store in a while. And number two, I got some Kickstarters to prepare when those things show up next week. So uh, that was great to see. And I'm excited to hold those books in my grubby little hands. <laughs> right on. Um, and make sure to hit us up at makingcomicspodcast at gmail.com uh, let us know what you think of the podcast this episode, other episodes if you have anything that you want us to talk about something we mentioned briefly and want to expand on uh, or a subject matter that we have not breached just as of yet so hit us up makingcomicspodcast at gmail.com or hit us up individually at those social medias that we had just provided for you yeah and when it comes to podcasts of course there are a few ways to rate us. Well, there's one way to rate us, and that's five stars. That's right. But there are a few places where you can do this. You can do this on Apple Podcasts, where you can actually throw some words, and you can do it on Spotify. And without going into too much detail, I will say that it's quite clear that we are the five stars in that's my word, podcast experience on the planet. And you can help it be even more of the five stars in experience on the planet by throwing five stars our way it helps it helps expand the audience um it it helps us we love getting the feedback and we love seeing it there we love having these words that people are saying so that we know that we're helping you know like we do this podcast we know damn well um you know there is a bunch of people listening to it and we love that but it's even better when we get that feedback where people are telling us maybe what they like what they don't like and when they're giving us nice ratings so thank you to those of you who have done it and if you haven't done it and you have three extra minutes hey give it a go throw us a whole bunch of stars and say some nice words if you have the chance that's right. Yeah, we don't have a Patreon here, so the way you support us is picking up our books at our websites that we provided you, or giving us five stars. If you don't have enough money to buy our comics, hey, give us a review, leave us some words. We greatly appreciate it. Costs you nothing. Just a little bit of your time, not an overabundance of time, so make sure you're doing that, and we greatly, greatly appreciate that. 
Totally. All right. Well, that'll do it for this episode. We thank you so much for stopping in and listening to us, and we'll catch you next week. Yay, yay.